0: Well, today is simply a continuation of the same story. The U.S. dollar remains strong against a weakening yuan, which hit a 16-year low, and also in response to weakness in Europe. We saw a larger than expected fall in German industrial production, for example. The only new news is a China ban on iPhones, but it's only for use in government departments. Maybe the markets are overplaying it a bit, but it's been a big response to that. But what about jobless claims in the U.S.? Those weekly numbers are trending down, so maybe the jobs market isn't easing as quickly As the Fed would like. It's Friday, the 8th of September 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, another small move up in the US dollar. It's now up over 105 on the DXY index. There's no stopping the mighty US dollar. It's the strongest it's been since early March. The Aussie dollar is down a little, a quarter percent falling the euro and the pound. The Japanese yen is down a third of one percent. Another rise in the US dollar to the one, almost 7.33 yuan to the dollar now. And bond yields lower today, down two basis points for 10-year treasuries, down eight for 10-year gilts in the UK. Two years in the UK are down ten basis points. Maybe a response to what Andrew Bailey was saying yesterday that they are perhaps near the uh, the, the peak rate for interest rates in the UK. German bunds down four basis points. Aussie ten years up three basis points yesterday to 4.16%, then yields down three basis points on futures overnight, so basically where they were a day ago. And US stocks still largely running scared, although the Dow has managed to push into the green. It's up 0.2% at close, but a 0.9% drop in the Nasdaq and 0.3% fall for the S&P 500. A large part of that fall in tech is because China has banned iPhones in many government departments and in state companies, which is a lot of companies and it could be expanded. That is the fear. Uh, Although I'm reading, you know, a lot of those companies and departments probably uh, weren't using iphones anyway so maybe it's being overplayed but apple shares down almost three percent today so that explains the fall in tech a 0.4 percent drop in the euro stocks 50 and a 0.2 percent rise in the FTSE 100 oil has backed down a bit brent down almost 0.7 percent but still over 90 a barrel a similar size fall in wti so sally old is with us today from jb weir in sydney so we should start with australia's trade numbers i think from yesterday the narrowest surplus since february 2022 and quite a bit lower than expected i mean nav had forecast 10 billion as being the surplus it came in at eight because of lower exports presumably uh, we can blame china for a bit of this can we
1: well it's interesting i mean if you you've got to look sort of quite hard to, to find um, you know signs that this is being driven by china but when we do look at exports by destination um, and sort of smooth the data a little bit. We do find that um, exports to China have weakened a little bit in, in the last couple of months. Now, that's off you know, quite elevated levels, um, but the trend appears to be a softening in exports to that country, which given everything that's gone on there, you know, particularly in, in the last sort of three to four months with materially weaker uh, signs of economic growth, I guess that, that all sort of gels pretty well. But the big one, iron ore, um, that was only down seven tenths of a percent in the month of of July, so it wasn't really a a, a major move. Um, but it was sort of um, the, the the trade surplus eight billion, as you said, exports down two percent, but also imports were up two and a half percent. So you sort of yeah, had both sides so of the ledger
0: working. Yeah, exactly, because we are still consuming despite the RBA's best efforts.
1: Yeah, that's right. So consumer exports were up almost seven percent in the month. That was actually driven by a really large import in cars um of cars during the month. Mm. They they fell in the month of June and so there was obviously a bit of a, a rebound there. But capital goods imports were strong as well. So, you know, if you were just to sort of step back and, and look at those numbers, you would say, well, on on those numbers, you know, the economy seems to be doing okay. Businesses want to import capital goods and um, consumers are, are still happy to purchase, particularly cars. Um, so, you know, while the GDP numbers tell us that you know consumption was pretty soft in the in the three months to June, the trade numbers are telling us, at least for the first month of the third quarter, that things are sort of okay.
0: Yeah, not okay though uh, is Australia's productivity. I mean, Philip Lowe focused a bit on that, didn't he, in his final thoughts speech yesterday lunchtime, saying if we're going to get inflation down, we don't just need wage growth of two and a half percent, but we need productivity gains to go with that as well. And of course, you know, we got the opposite of that in the GDP numbers this week, didn't we?
1: Yeah, the the GDP numbers, you know, broadly speaking, were okay. But the the productivity component of those GDP numbers was pretty shocking, really. Um, You know, it's down 3.5% year on year, and it fell, I think, about 2% in the quarter. So if you look at productivity in a a level sense, um, we're basically back to where we were in 2016. So, you know, the pessimists would say, on net, um, we've achieved nothing. Um, over the last seven years on productivity, which is um, a pretty sobering assessment. And yes, Philip Lowe yesterday sort of said, you know, productivity is super important. um, But he said, fundamentally, it's a political issue, um, but it's a major problem for us. Um, And so, you know, the, the, the RBA's sort of view has always been, you know, back of the envelope sort of calculations, you can run wages growth at three and a half to four, um, if you get some productivity growth about one or a little bit higher, and that will be broadly consistent with inflation, you know, somewhere in the target band between two to three percent. Um, and at the moment, we're getting the first part of that. We've got wages growth, you know, that's picked up as the economy has recovered, but we've got no productivity growth, in fact, negative pod- productivity growth. And I think, you know, this is something that really threatens the RBA's your nice, gentle trajectory that inflation comes back to target over the next couple of years because those forecasts are predicated on a pickup in productivity growth. And what we discovered this week is that the starting point for those assumptions... Um, is now you know a fair bit weaker than we yeah. all
0: thought. Long way to go, isn't that? Uh, a bit to go for China as well to get its trade numbers back up. Their trade surplus narrowed more than expected. Like Australia, exports though and imports both down in their case year on year, uh, but exports down more than imports, but uh, both of them down less than a month ago and down less than expected. So. A glimmer of hope, perhaps? I mean, we're still seeing the currency weakening, uh, of course, You know, particularly this week, in fact, hitting a 16-year low for the offshore one.
1: Yeah, that's right. So the China, the, the trade numbers for August, I think, as you said, a bit of a glimmer of hope and certainly signs that export activity is stabilising in August after what was a, a pretty significant slide through the middle of the year from April to J- July. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's some, there's some sort of hope that, you know, after what's been a pretty weak couple of months for Chinese data that we're starting to get, you know, some signs of stabilisation. Maybe we had hints of that with, you know, better than expected manufacturing PMI um, earlier in the week. But, um, you know, obviously the Chinese authorities have drip fed a whole sequence of um, policy changes into the economy around interest rates, a lot to do with the housing market and some of the regulations around that. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you know, none of those really probably give us huge amounts of confidence that we're going to see a meaningful uplift in growth momentum. I think the best we're hoping for is that they do enough to stabilize Chinese growth. And I guess that's sort of the message in, in those trade numbers for August.
0: Well, we certainly didn't see a response in the Australian dollar, did we? So that, I mean, normally any you know any news at all from China seems to send the Aussie dollar one way or the other. But that didn't happen today. But I mean, they, I mean, you would have thought with the the currency weakening, uh, you know, that's going to be good for trade. I mean, they want it to be low against, particularly against Japan's exports, don't they? So they've got some sort of competitive edge. But that doesn't seem to be working for them just yet.
1: Yeah, no, not not. Not quite yet. Um, You know, obviously, Japan's still running extremely accommodative monetary policy. And so that that will be, given what is going on in the rest of the world, a bit of a a drag on on their currency. But yes, I mean, I think the story really of China is that, you know, rates are much lower in China relative to the US. Um, You know, clearly, the growth outlook is considerably weaker in China relative to the US. Um, And so, you know, not surprising that the currency is is materially weaker, but from China's perspective, you know, that's, again, a lever that they can probably feel a little bit more comfortable pulling rather than lowering rates and worrying about banks' net interest margins. And so at the margin, you know, the lower currency will, will help them over time. Um, and it will also help, you know, a lot of other countries who want their inflation lower because, um, you know, a lower Chinese currency will... Will lower the price of imported goods, um, and we actually are starting to see that already in 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 the inflation numbers. You know, whether it's the U.S., UK, um, and also in Australia. So, um, you know, I'm not sure there are too many too many people who've mm. been complaining about the lower Chinese currency. Right
0: now no, absolutely, and look you know a bit of imported deflation as well we, we had it before the pandemic didn 't we let 's uh, let 's bring That's it right. down uh, but look the u s dollar obviously going from strength to strength because we 've got that uh, that slowdown in China, but also that uh, European weakness as well, and that just carries on as well, so a few a bit more evidence of that in the last twenty four hours we had the third estimate on q two GDP, which was revised down from naught point three percent to naught point one percent q on q that 's quite a drop for a revision. We saw house prices in the UK fall 0.9% in a month. That's 4.6% over the year. And uh, perhaps more significantly, Germany's industrial production fell again, down 0.8% month on month, which is more than expected after a 1.4% fall the month before. We've also got a job slowdown in, in France as well going on. I mean, it's soft, 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 basically, is the European story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think you know, right across the board, it feels like the European economy is weakening, and and the, the the sort of latest piece of num piece of data, the German IP, as you said, down eight tenths of a percent. That leaves it ten percent annualised below where it was it was in the second quarter of of this year. Now, part of that was driven by softness in car production um, over summer, and so you know, I guess the optimists would say, well, that's likely to rebound in in subsequent months. But, you know, what we can see from those IP numbers is that they align very closely with the PMI series, which we know has been pretty weak for for Germany and for Europe as a whole. And so it sort of feels, you know, when you get data series that that do align, that there is a story there. Um, And I think, you know, this is exactly why the U.S. dollar is strong, because you've got a, a pretty compelling case for U.S. exceptionalism at the moment. So Europe is weak. China is weak. As you said, the U.K. is probably struggling a bit. Um, And in contrast, the U.S. economy continues to be resilient. We saw good jobless claims numbers overnight. Um, Rates are higher over there. And they have, you know, considerable fiscal stimulus at work in in the U.S. at the moment. And so when we think about, you know, what the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act mean for the investment outlook, you're starting to see already quite a notable pickup in capex spend um, in the U.S. And productivity growth, is showing signs of of lifting as well. So there are lots of, I think, different reasons to be, you know, broadly positive on the US story, and and that's sort of no surprise it's getting reflected in FX markets at the moment
0: yeah but those jobless claims so we can actually say that's good, can we? I mean you know, not that long ago we'd be saying, well, if those jobless claims are falling and it's happening week on week now, i mean enough to mm. call it a trend, we'd say, well mm. the labor market is is staying tight, it's not getting any easier, and that uh that could be inflationary, but you think there's enough uh, other stuff going on there's enough growth happening for that not to be a concern Well,
1: I think you know the the, the sort of broad story around the u s labor market is that it still remains pretty strong, but um, there are signs that it has softened a bit. So, you know, wages growth is is well off its peaks. And we've seen, you know, measures of labor demand, whether that's the JOLT survey or, or other series of job ads, you know, come off a bit. And we've seen employment growth slow. So it does feel like there's been something of an adjustment in the labor market, which probably means that, you know, we can tolerate jobless claims at relatively low levels. But I think it also speaks to this idea that, you know, the Fed's going to be watching pretty carefully and um, you know, this is the issue with the soft landing, which is that it doesn't really give you sort of much scope for to tolerate an uplift in, in growth momentum um, because you're already dealing with an economy that's pretty fully employed. Um, but for the time being, you know, all the data seems to be working in their favour. Inflation's coming down, and we'll get a, another read on that this evening. Um, and the labour market seems to be softening but still holding in very well. Um, and so from the Fed's perspective, Sort of steady as she goes, and and they're just going to watch the data. Um, I have no doubt they're going to be vigilant if they think that things are picking up and putting some more pressure on inflation. But for the time being, um, it's a pretty good story. Uh,
0: and uh, yeah, Canada's unemployment rate we get today and uh, over the weekend as well, China's PPI and CPI. So uh, yeah, we talked about exporting deflation. Uh, so you know, selfishly, we'll want to see that number going lower, presumably.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know the, the deflation story makes a nice headline, but I think the the probably the right interpretation of all of that is that um, it's only a temporary phenomenon in China. But you know, sort of no surprises, right? They've got too much supply, not enough demand, um, and in that circumstance, mm. you usually see weakness in. In price pressures and that's exactly what we've got so deflation you know might end in a couple of months but it's still going to be you know a low inflation yeah, economy for
0: sure alright very good we'll leave it there for now good to talk
1: Sally catch you again very soon thanks thank you
0: incidentally while I was uh, talking to Sally uh, we also had uh, John Williams talking from the New York Fed on Bloomberg saying uh, more data is needed before they decide on the September move uh, nothing new there but he did say inflation is coming down the trend is there favourable tailwinds in bringing inflation down his words so that's sounding fairly dovish i guess now the weekend edition this week uh, we have a choice australia we can just pay the cost of transitioning to net zero or we can see it as an opportunity you
1: know you can meet the targets um that delivers you a relative economic cost or a higher cost of transition because you're just not replacing the activity that has to otherwise decline something else um or you can meet those targets replace that uh, economic activity with a new kind of green industrial base and be in a position to supply the world
0: that's claire abraham from deloitte i'm talking to her on the weekend edition this weekend that drops this afternoon uh, at the usual place wherever you get the morning call from and i'll be back again on monday morning as well of course with the regular weekday edition of the morning call as well have a great weekend i'll see you then either tonight this afternoon or sometime over the weekend or on monday morning you decide i'll see you soon anyway i'm phil w for now thanks for listening